Welcome back, everybody, to episode six of the Spartan Hoops podcast. David Klein joined here today by my co-host, Greg Waddell. Uh, happy Fourth of July weekend, everybody. It's kind of the wrap-up of it. We got the odd Monday off. Uh, how was your weekend, Greg? It was great, DK. I got to start by saying, what a country, man. What other country could you and I just be sitting here podcasting about college basketball together other than America? God bless it. You got to love it. I had a great weekend, man, and I, I believe you also did as well. Is that right? That's correct. Yep. I got on the water as much as I could uh, and then just relaxed. I think that uh, when the summer starts heating up, everybody just gets so busy. So those day or two that you just get to sit and kind of veg or enjoy some of the weather, but for the most part, do whatever you want. I mean, that's what America's all about for sure. Uh, starting off on the top, we now have all of our off-season player profiles up on SpartanHoops.com. If you haven't subscribed yet, you can check that out. There's literally every player, in-depth stat stuff, film breakdown, expectations for next season. And the primary focus of this episode is going to be discussing the backcourt and then maybe kind of just rounding up a little bit of the team construction as a whole. Um, what do you have going over at Sleepers Media right now, Greg? Yeah, we just did a great interview. I think everybody listening to this would love with Brandon Wood last week that dropped on our YouTube channel and on streaming platforms. Look up the Sleepers podcast. Brandon Wood is an awesome interview, first of all. like I liked him as a player. I remember him as a person a little bit from the year he was at Michigan State, but he's got stories for days. He's a hilarious dude, super genuine, super kind. Uh, and one of the hardest working people that I've talked to since doing a lot of these interviews. So I think you guys will love it. Check that out, like I said, on the Sleepers channel. Uh, and then I've got some stuff cooking for SpartanHoops.com. I won't spoil too much, but we've been talking about maybe doing like a one big question for every Big Ten team type article. So stay tuned for that in the upcoming weeks. Yep. You also have something in the hopper, just taking a look at maybe the top 25. Again, we're trying to expand the coverage a little bit. I think we're starting to see the rosters finalized, and that's a perfect segue into where we're going to start today. Uh, the Big Ten has basically gotten almost every single bit of news uh, in regards to who is staying or withdrawing from the draft, as well as the transfer portal. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm just going to run through the list. Uh, Kofi Coburn is not going to enter the NBA draft. Is that correct? Has he formally withdrawn or is he still keeping his options open and he's entered the portal? From what I have heard, his options are still open, but his name appeared in the portal officially over the weekend for the first time, which is a strong signal that he will be playing in college somewhere. That's kind of how I interpreted it. I, I have always kind of questioned his ability to maybe play at the next level. I mean, maybe a spot minute guy, but not somebody that you probably would find drafted. Um, I think his ability to maybe move laterally is going to be an issue in the NBA. Just how many men are of his size uh, that are out there? Like Steven Adams is kind of that last dinosaur type that's kind of a more traditional, you know, blocky type guy. So I wonder, you know, if he ever is really going to have a long, long stint one way or the other, uh, but perhaps the name image likeness and just knowing that he's maybe being able to make a little bit of money and still play another year of college. I do think that that is going to impact decisions. And I wouldn't be surprised if maybe that was one of his, what's your feel one way or the other. Do you feel like he returns to Illinois or does he seek elsewhere? Because there's been a lot of people moving, you know, we saw Adam Miller go down to LSU 
I think maybe some of the relationships were with those assistant coaches and what you're seeing now is maybe that Brad Underwood is not as well liked as perhaps maybe we thought. Um, he's always kind of come off a little bit as a hard ass. I mean, we can't really speak that much from a Michigan State perspective. We've got, you know, the top dog hard ass in, in the game. But <laughs> I think to a certain extent, you know, it's a possibility that maybe he does seek other pastures. What do you think about that generally? I think he's gone. I think there's been some extremely toxic off seasons for Big Ten programs, neither of which are the two in the state of Michigan here, which should bode very well looking into this next season. But Illinois lost two assistant coaches, lost one of their most promising young players in Adam Miller, um, brought in a center who theoretically was supposed to replace Kofi Coburn in Omar Payne from Florida. And for this to happen last minute, to me signals that Kofi either had no idea what he was doing or just knew he wanted to get out of Illinois and is now seeking his final straw options that he can. I've heard rumors that he will end up at Kentucky. Um, I don't think those are concrete by any means, but that is where at least one of the, I think it was one of the assistant coaches left from Illinois to go to Kentucky. So I, I wouldn't be shocked with that. The roster fit doesn't make a ton of sense because Kentucky has uh, to ship the West Virginia transfer and a pretty loaded front court spot. But I don't think Kofi Coburn really cares. And Kentucky has thrown a lot of scholarships at transfer guys this offseason, uh, CJ Frederick being another one from the Big Ten. So I, I would be shocked at this point if Kofi returns to Illinois. I've been wrong before, but I think there's a lot of smoke right now. Yeah, I'm in, in the same boat there. Joe Wieskamp from Iowa made the right decision, in my opinion. I'm not sure if his stock really could have been much higher than it was. He did himself a favor by all reports in the NBA draft. What would he have really come back to? I mean, I guess it would have been nice, uh, you know, loyalty for the program or whatever. But that program basically got decimated to a certain degree with Frederick out. Um, I guess is Bohannon back again? Is that right? Bohannon oh. is back, which is nuts. But he, hey, give him credit. A couple months ago, he said if name, image, likeness was passed, he would return. Here he is. He has returned. Yeah. I think he may have been a big factor in getting that rule changed. So credit to him. But yeah, Iowa's going to be uh, very interesting. Keegan Murray will be fine. But that's yeah, that's it. that's it, right? Keegan Murray is the only one you probably would have come back to play with. But CJ Frederick leaves. Obviously, Garza's in the NBA draft. So. It just seems like it probably made the most sense. And from a Pistons standpoint, honestly, if you got a second-round pick and Wieskamp's hanging out there, I, I wouldn't be opposed to it, continuing to add shooting. I think he's got a little bit. You saw kind of what Kevin Herter was able to do, former Maryland player this year in the playoffs. Uh, you know, I'm not sure if he's quite to that level or could get to that level, but I think that he kind of offers a little bit of a similar package, a, a pretty lights-out shooter, a guy that can create a little bit off the bounce. He'll be an interesting – uh, play. I'm curious kind of where he ends up getting drafted. Um, Devontae Jones comes back to Michigan. There was some chatter. Maybe he stayed in the draft. Uh, Jonathan Gavoni has been, you know, singing his praises. I think we're both a little bit, you know, maybe split on exactly what his impact will be. I think we'll eventually do just a pure Michigan, Michigan State kind of breakdown. So I'll save that for maybe later our debate on that. Uh, I would be pretty surprised at this point if Hunter Dickinson did not return. I think we're both in the same boat there. He obviously was not invited from the G League Combine to the regular Combine. That's usually a pretty good indication that they didn't think that you were good enough to at least view you as kind of that top um, tier guys that maybe has a shot to make a roster. So in my opinion, he returns. Do you have any feelings one way or the other? I assume you're on the same boat with me. 
Yeah, he's he's going to be back. I don't know what's dragging out so much with this other than uh, my guess would be they wanted to give Jones his day today and then Dickinson gets his day tomorrow or the next day, which would be the final day you have to announce. Um, there was a, a snippet from Hunter's trainer last week who leaked a bunch of the classic offseason before and after pictures and videos. And the the trainer did say explicitly in Hunter's next season at Michigan – so I think it would be a complete shock at this point if he doesn't go. Like you said, he didn't get the invites that he was looking for. By all accounts, he played okay at the Combine last week, but he wasn't the best player on the floor or anything like that. So I think he's back. And uh, more importantly for Michigan fans, Hunter Dickinson got his ears pierced, it looks like, this week. There you so, go. Styling. <laughs> styling and profiling. <laughs> uh, what did you think about those like transformation pictures? Because he didn't look any bigger. They like slimmed him down. Like, yeah, I, I'm I, confused. Why? Why I, is Michigan trying to slim down their center? I get no, like they want. I didn't understand that mobile. at all. I mean, maybe for the NBA game, but like, I don't think that. I don't think that that was the play. I, I thought like maybe adding some bulk and getting stronger made the most sense. But maybe we're gonna see him shooting twelve footers. He's gonna be turnaround from the elbow. I'll just say this from a Michigan State fan perspective: if the Hunter Dickinson, you know, show is going to carry on this next sophomore year, which obviously it should be, he should be featured in the offense. I am hoping and praying from a Michigan State fan, fan point that he wants to build that NBA, you know, talk <laughs> about him, and instead of just bullying people in the paint and slamming on people, that he's taking twelve to fifteen footers all season. That God bless him. Hope he does it. I really do. You know, I will say the one thing that I have not seen from Hunter in his various off-season videos, workouts, all that, is a video solely featuring his right hand. I know yeah. you had a little back and forth with him on Twitter about that, and he played it cool. He played it nice, so I think you made a friend there in Hunter Dickinson. But I, uh, Hunter's going to be great. He's going to be an All-American, even if he doesn't massively make strides in his game with a jump shot or with a right hand. Like, if he just is the same guy he was last year, but with a higher usage rate and they play through the post more, he's an All-American. And you've, I know we'll save this for another podcast, but there are some spacing concerns with the team. How does he fit in with Diabate in that front court? It remains to be seen. But either way, if he is back, that's a massive, massive boost for the Wolverines. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Marcus Carr not withdrew his name from the, uh, the draft. I'm a little surprised about this. I thought that there was a chance he was going to stay in. I'm not really quite sure what else he can prove other than maybe that he can go somewhere and win because he's been losing at Minnesota for a long while. Uh, there's some, I think, four teams that are, are – Rumored now with him, Texas, Louisville, Kansas, and was Kentucky as well, which would be odd because they already have three point guards in the roster. So I almost, you know, they're being rumored with everybody. So I'm maybe Xing that out. I think probably he would be the best option, but I think you have to keep Ty Ty Washington probably happy. So I would be surprised if it went that route. Kansas has Yesifu, who they uh, got. Where, where did he transfer from? I know you were high on him. Yesifu's from Drake, and he was right. my breakout favorite player from the, the NCAA tournament this year. I think Yesifu's going to be great. Kansas also has Remy Martin in the fold from Arizona State. Has he withdrawn his name? I have not seen that yet. I don't think that he has. Not officially, but yeah. quote-unquote Greg Waddell sources say that that's imminent. I would that. assume so, um, and that will be interesting to see because uh, that guy likes to get up some shots. So there's a lot of guys that need to eat on that roster. Uh, I'm going to be very curious to see how it comes, but if you're looking at just from a pure talent perspective, 
with the ability to still add at least one piece, they are almost as talented as anyone in the country. I think they're going to be a very interesting team, uh, speaking of Kentucky. Uh, and then Louisville, I think, would probably be a good fit. Obviously, Carly Jones entered the draft, so they're kind of a little bit of a void at that point guard spot. Um, it's kind of crazy. Marcus Carr is going to leave the Big Ten, and Michigan State has a 50% chance at potentially seeing him again. I don't know if we'll want to see him either at Louisville or if he was to join Kansas, but that'll be interesting. Obviously, Beard is now rumored with basically every single transfer that hits the portal, so no surprise there. He would be the most talented. I think uh, Devin Askew from Kentucky transferred there. He would, in my opinion, be an instant upgrade over that, so I wouldn't be well, 100% unsurprised if maybe that, that starts heating up a little bit. So uh, the thing is, Texas has Andrew Jones and Courtney Ramey back, which is basically their starting backcourt minus Matt Coleman. But those two plus Askew is a ton. If Martin actually goes to Kansas, him and Yesifu's a ton. Those are two yeah. true point guards. And then Kentucky, like you said, has four different guys that expect to be 20-minute-plus guys in the backcourt. So to me, the only one that makes sense fit-wise is Louisville. Uh, which would kind of put him just in a higher profile situation, but a similar situation to where he's the do-it-all guy in the backcourt on a team that might not have a ton around him. Yeah. But, you know, at least that's a chance to make a tournament berth. But I, I just don't know. I'm confused at this point. Like Marcus Carr, if he had announced this two months ago, is the biggest name in the portal, right? I mean, if the day one of the transfer portal, Marcus Carr puts his name in, I think he hears from pretty much every school in the country, at least for a phone call. And the fact that he waited so long and has just dropped the list of only four schools, three of them that have already boosted their backcourt three times over this offseason is insane to me. Um, and it'll be really interesting to see where he ends up. Because I think there's a lot of better fits out there at big-name schools that are just not involved for Marcus Carr that yeah. I think are kind of going to be wishing they did. I think Michigan probably would have been at the front of the line if he would have answered that. So I'm I'm definitely glad that they ended up filling that need and we're not going to see him in conference again for you know several games. So uh, moving on a little quickly here because I think we got a lot to talk about. Uh, we got word that EJ Liddell is coming back to OSU. That's obviously a huge boon for them. But uh, Dwayne Washington Jr. is staying in the draft. I think that that loss – may have been bigger than if EJ Liddell had stayed. And my opinion on that is twofold. One, I think EJ Liddell is maybe the better college player, but what Dwayne Washington gave that team, the ability to create shots from the perimeter. Yes, he's a guy that shot them out of some games. There's no doubt about it, but he also shot them in some. And I'm not sure if EJ Liddell has the ability to really take over per se a game, particularly late when you need somebody to have the ball in their hand. And now OSU is void, in my opinion, of that guy on the roster. To me, they slide kind of down a little bit. I think when we were originally talking in this preseason, the very, very early preseason, I probably had uh, Purdue, Michigan, and OSU in that top tier, which I would say uh, probably most comfortably contenders. I would bump OSU from that that contender tier now. Um, and it's not to say that they couldn't possibly get themselves back in it. Um, but if I'm picking just two of maybe the front runner contenders, I think I would stick with Purdue and Michigan now. And I, I would maybe bump OSU back into that mix with uh, Indiana and uh, as well as Michigan state perhaps. Yeah. Um, and then the last one, just the big transfer news, Aaron, uh, 
Aaron Wiggins, before we came on today, he also decided to remain in the draft. Daryl Morsell's obviously transferred to Marquette, so they lose two of their better wings. I never was super high, even if both those guys had returned to Maryland. I, I, I'm just not that high on Turgeon. I think generally the roster construction still was going to have some issues. But I would say, again, all that talk that immediately after the season, they're in the top five or top ten in the country, all these lists that are coming out, which I thought was absurd then, looks even more absurd now. The, the rush to judgment on what these teams would be without seeing the final roster construction made no sense to me. Any thoughts on Maryland? Would you then maybe just lump them back with kind of uh, Michigan State, Indiana, um, OSU, are they in that tier, or would you even bump them one further down with that two losses? I think they're probably in the tier, just until you see how Russell and Wahab end up performing in the Big Ten. But I, you and I were both on the same page with Maryland that they shouldn't be close to a top 10 right now. I don't think they should be a top 25 team now with the Wiggins news. Um, I, I looked this up just because I'm in a group chat with some folks who are still somehow persistent that Maryland will be a good team this year. And if you just take the five guys in their projected starting five, last season the records of their teams were 74 and 70. And that's, I mean, three of those guys were on Maryland, but Maryland was not a good team last year. And that was a team that had an all Big Ten player in Morsell and a guy who's going to be an NBA player in Wiggins. So what happens when you remove those and replace those guys with guys who have not been winners at the college level? I don't see them magically turning the corner and becoming a winning team. Um, and just to go back to Ohio State really quickly, I think you nailed everything on the Liddell-Washington piece. Liddell's the better college player. Washington is the more important player to that team because it's a guard-driven sport. You saw what Baylor did. They had three guys who could just feast off the bounce and get to the rim at will and make shots from the perimeter. Ohio State does not have one guy on the roster that can do that now. Um, I still think they'll be good because Chris Holtman is always going to keep teams tough, even if he doesn't have that top-end talent. But it'll be interesting to see because I, I'm not super high on Washington going to the NBA. I tweeted this week that he's Jordan Poole with less flavor and more calories. Um, <laughs> so I, I'm pretty curious to see where he ends up. I, I guess I would add the one caveat. We don't know what we're going to get out of Michi Johnson. I think it'll be interesting to see because he showed flashes here and there. You know, size-wise, is he a guy that's really someone you're scared of? No. But again, he came in basically like fresh off high school. He, he played half a season with the team. So could he take a step forward? And they have a top 30 kid, uh, Malachi Branham. I think he's like a combo guard. I'm not sure if he's a pure point. I think he's more of a, a combo guard. So whenever you add a top 30 kid, is it a possibility that he shows a little bit more? I just think that guard position is really, really difficult to come in and put the ball in someone's hands that young. Um, maybe Justice Suing is the closest they have now to a guy who's able to create you know, from the perimeter and get all the way to the rim. But he kind of ran into some struggles himself last season. I, I just think they're going to run into some issues there. And I think we're kind of both in the same boat. It, it definitely knocks him down a peg or two. Still a top half conference team, but not one that I think is as dangerous had he returned. Um, I think next swing, we're just going to get into the recruiting uh, because Michigan State, you know, I, I've said it multiple times over for the class of 22, really didn't cast a wide enough net. And I think that what we're beginning to see is that Michigan State has really put themselves in a very uncomfortable position for what potentially could have been a four to five man class and now has been kind of left in a situation where they are going to have to really target the transfer portal, in my opinion, very heavily next year. 
I thought for a large degree that when they originally offered Terrace Reed after having spoken with him and, and just kind of feeling some of the excitement that he had for that offer, they were kind of in early on him. I think that they had a shot to really press in and, and ensure that he was prioritized in the you know position for the center spot. They were very enamored with Jalen Washington by all reports. He is now either a heavy Purdue or UNC lean. I've heard almost nothing mentioned about Michigan State recently. And Washington has apparently on his OSU visit almost committed. My understanding is he works out with EJ Liddell. He has a relationship there. He just recently took a visit to Michigan last week. And my understanding is this top two does not even include Michigan State at this point. It's, it's OSU and Michigan. So Michigan State somehow lost a ton of steam on that. I think it was a blunder on their part not to push all in. I think to a certain degree what we're seeing from this class of 22 is that there's not a whole lot of hot commodities in the center spot. It's a rather thin class for the bigs. And this is not to disrespect Terrace Reed in any measure. I would have been extremely, extremely happy to get him in the fold, which is beginning to seem pretty unlikely. But the fact that Michigan was kind of after, I think he's raised up the recruiting rankings a little bit, but after kind of like a top 70, a top 80 kid when he when they first started recruiting him, I think that tells you to a certain degree how thin the class is for the center because Michigan has been primarily swimming in mostly top 40 water. And so the fact that they're reaching kind of outside of this, I think tells you to a certain degree that there just isn't a ton of bigs in this class that are worthy. And so the fact that Michigan State, who had maybe a front-running chance to kind of put pressure on and try to corral Reed early, this is a complete fa failure, in my opinion, on the staff to cast a wide enough net and to get themselves in a position where they could have secured it. I think at this point that Jalen Washington's a long shot. Terrace Reed, they've lost ground on. Isaac Trout, from my reports, and have spoken with his dad a couple weeks back just about the recruiting process. I got the impression that UVA – um, is probably the front runner there. He recently changed his timetable to the early fall before the start of the senior season, so we'll at least have an idea of that. Michigan State probably needs to add a position from two to five, as we've spoken about previously. They are not really in a plan A position to land any of those guys that they've been after, except for Jaden Shute. He is the only guy, in my opinion, that I feel even somewhat comfortable about Michigan State landing. And after having such a magnificent class in 21, to back this up with a class of 22 where you might have to move to like plan C options or wait and see what's in the portal, it's a little terrifying to me. And that has got to be a little bit on the staff. I understand that there was a, you know, a different period last year. They didn't get out live in recruiting. My understanding from what Tom Izzo says, these next three or four weeks in July – they are hitting the recruiting trail for both 23 and 22, so maybe more names emerge. But I'm very, very alarmed about where this class is headed. What are your thoughts on it, Greg? And, you know, where does Michigan State go from here if they do not pull in a couple of these plan A guys? Expand the board. I mean, I've, I'm that's kind of my mentality in general is cast a wider net. I get that that's not necessarily always been the Izzo way. He's had a ton of success with that in the past. That's fine, but – when all indications are that the the four guys you've been chasing are not trending in the right direction, especially at a position of need as big as center right now, I think you need to expand the board. You need to expand the board quickly, or you're going to have to play the transfer portal. 
and we're through one off season of being able to play the transfer portal. And the result we've got is one of three open scholarships have been filled. And by all indication, no phone calls were made after that initial move to get Tyson Walker. So I, I don't know. I don't get it. I, uh, I think, you know, you'll get at least one to two of those guys. I just think it's going to work out that way. Um, but I, even one to two of those guys is not enough. And the Terrace Reed recruitment is interesting. Michigan just missed on Donovan Klingon, who is going to end up at UConn, stay out east. And he seemed to be 1A on their board at the center spot. Um, I think they're trying to sneak in and steal Reed from Ohio State at this point, which would not shock me if they did, but I don't think they feel great about their chances there. So it, it, you're right. The center spot is, uh, I don't want to call it a weak one in this class because I think the, the top of the top and the top 10 for that class is pretty strong at the center spot. But beyond that, the guys who are reasonable gets for Michigan State are, there's not many. At least there's yeah. not many that they've made contact with. So I think when things are trending downward, you've got to go out and identify some of those under-the-radar guys. Even if we're looking at some three-star prospects, it's time to start building those relationships so you don't end up with a completely bare cupboard a year from now. I think that it's interesting that you bring up Michigan because say they miss on Reed, the only other guy that they're really involved with is Derek Lively, who by all reports is going to go to a blue blood. Those are the three guys that they've really been mentioned with the center spot. I know we're complaining because Michigan State is a little thin there. They'll still have Julius Marble and Matty Sissoko in the fold. It's very possible Michigan loses Hunter Dickinson as well as Musa uh, Diabate. If you miss both those guys and they both go to the NBA – Michigan is going to be very, very heavily in the transfer portal and Michigan State will be in a very similar spot. They may be vying again for the same type of kids if for some reason one of those two don't land it. So I think just maybe the depth of the center class isn't particularly great and Michigan State thought they were in a good spot with Jalen Washington and I get it, but it's unfortunate now that you know they tried to keep both of those guys warm and now you're going to lose them both. That's at least how it's kind of looking out too. Um, I do think Ty Rogers, you know, speaking of maybe getting some guys back on the board is a possibility. And in my opinion, you know, there hasn't been much chatter either between Michigan or Michigan State. His recruitment has been very odd, I would say, just generally for a kid that's like a top 50 kid in the state. You think that it would be heavily recruited and it hasn't felt that way from really either of the programs. Um, I think that he'd be a great fit for Michigan State in terms of what he brings. He, he to me, has maybe like a little bit of Brandon Dawson in him not quite perhaps as athletic at the rim, but he has a similar thing where he's mostly going to be a finisher around the rim, hard-nosed kid, multi-versatile defender. I think that that there's a prototype for Michigan State of taking those tweener guys because I don't think he's quite a wing and a, he's a little bit undersized for the power forward spot. I think that they've done a really nice job when guys are tweeners of kind of finding their role, and I think he would be a good fit for the program. I just don't know how much he has that interest. So again, you know, all eyes kind of on Jaden shoot. If you land him in Rogers and then you have to go pluck one to two guys from the portal, I think I would feel more comfortable. But if you miss on Jaden shoot and you don't hit any of your plan A guys, I mean, this could be like a Gavin Schilling was that Alvin Ellis, I think was in that class. Like you could have a class where you just like scoop two guys who you didn't really want to get in the first place. No offense to either of those guys, but you were forced to kind of go to not even plan B options because Michigan State hasn't cast a wide enough net to even have plan B options. They're on to plan C. Um, and I think that that's extremely alarming. So we'll have to see how it shakes out. I think that at the very least, if they're willing to invest in the transfer portal, then there's a shot. 
you know, I, I don't think they'll have much of a choice if they miss some of these kids. They're going to have to address some of the needs, particularly the wing, which I think is extremely thin as well. Um, and that kind of leads us into just the roster construction for this year. It seems pretty clear at this point that the two remaining scholarships are going to be left open, uh, despite the fact that there have been some recent big names that have entered the porter um, portal. Excuse me, uh, Jaden Shackelford from Alabama. Um, we saw. Oh, you're gonna have to remind me of some of the names. Um, it's Obnafor, is that correct? From uh, O'Banner, Kevin O'Banner from Oral that's Roberts. That's how you pronounce it. It's O'Banner. Yep. Okay, it doesn't look spelled that way. All right. So he's from Oral Roberts. Is that right? Yeah, Kevin O'Banner was like one of the two breakout stars from Oral Roberts, who were basically a two-man show and a bunch of role players. And he, his averages in the tournament were ridiculous. Like I, I'm spitballing and this is definitely incorrect, but somebody said it the other day and it was like 24 points and nine rebounds per yeah. game on over 50% from three. Um, he's a true pick and pop four is the problem. Like I don't think Izzo would ever play him as a five and he definitely can't play lower than a four. So that doesn't fit with the roster construction, obviously, but to your point, there's a bunch of guys out Martin here. Garcia from Marquette has entered the portal. Um, there's a couple other guys that have just hit it. Obviously, Marcus Carr is a name in there, too. Uh, I know you've know. got Tyson Walker, but, you know, it's it's interesting to me. Oh, I'm going to frame this in a, in a question. About, I'm going to let you say your piece first about how you feel just generally about leaving the two open scholarships, and then I want to twist and ask you a question for that. So, just generally address why you think Michigan State should fill it and why you think it's a bad decision not to. Sure. I think it's nonsensical is my honest feeling here. And warning to all Spartan fans listening to this, I'm going to put the staff on blast here. This probably won't be the only time I do this when I make appearances on this show. I cannot fathom what they're thinking with this other than – I think you've said this, but other than just wanting the 11 guys that they've got to feel comfortable in their roles and know they have an opportunity and the chemistry must just be so good that you give it a shot. But here's the thing. That wasn't the case last season. And I know we lost a few guys. And if you want to put this all on Foster Lawyer and Rocket Watts and Thomas Kithier and Dane Fife, then fine. But I have a hard time believing that that was the only dynamic that was preventing this team from, one, being talented enough to win games at the high level that's expected of the Michigan State program, and two, of being the cohesive togetherness unit that you've seen from a lot of really good Michigan State teams. Now, that team did come together at the end of the season, and they turned some things around, and there's a lot of reasons to believe going into next season this is going to be a really promising group that's going to get right back on track. However... If I asked you right now, DK, is there any guy that you are extremely confident will be an all-conference player at any level in the Big Ten next season? Do you have an answer to that question? Nope. I don't. And that that's my point, is that if, if Spartan fans are being honest with ourselves right now, I don't think anyone is jumping through a door to say they do, unless you're really confident in Max Christie and there's reasons to He'd be, be really. the closest one that I would feel comfortable landing as one of the top 15 players in the conference. But I, I think that it's going to take half a season for him to maybe find that role, but keep going. I'm sorry. And there's, there's reasons to believe that, right? So if someone wants to answer that question, well, I think Max Christie can be that. I'd be like, I think he could be too. I think, 
Tyson Walker could be. Like if, if I blinked in six months from now, I was told that Tyson Walker was an all Big Ten point guard. I wouldn't be shocked. But the thing is, there's no proven commodities here. And there are guys that are proven commodities that have hit the transfer portal over the last three months. And by all accounts that I've heard, they haven't made attempts to even broker a conversation with any. And if it was even just one spot, I would understand it a little bit. But with the lack of wing depth on this roster, you're looking at for the two and the three spot next year, next season, we're looking at Max Christie, Gabe Brown, who should both be big minute guys. But again, Gabe Brown has never been a big minute guy, at least not a starter level, high quality, big minute guy. We'll get into that. And Max Christie's a freshman. So without injury, you're looking at two guys that have never gone 30 minutes at a really high level for a really good team. And then the backup options again are true freshmen. And look, I love this freshman class as much as everybody does. I promise you I do. I think Aikens is going to be a monster. I think Brooks is going to be your prototypical Spartan dog, your kind of guy, four-year player who's going to do a lot of really good things. And I think Max Christie's a monster. But one more proven body that has played anywhere at a high level makes me feel so much better about this roster, and I cannot comprehend why they didn't even attempt to pull in anyone. And when I look at those names in the portal you just mentioned, like Garcia, O'Banner, Marcus Carr, Kofi Coburn, like I just see five guys that if any one of those guys came to Michigan State, they instantly take them from that middle of the tier Big Ten team that's going to make the tournament, but we don't know how high their ceiling is to like, okay, maybe they could compete for a Big Ten title. And I know that's a little hyperbolic to say, but this is a team that doesn't have a for sure all-conference player. And this is the only year in NCAA history where you're able to just go pluck an all-conference player for free from anywhere in the country. And I don't think this staff did their due diligence on finding those people. I think that you bring a fair point. And the counterpoint to, to that, in my mind, is twofold. The first question I would ask you is, if you could add one piece to this roster and what position would you take it in and plug that in with the roster as it is today well my answer is different than yours but if you could pluck a proven all-conference level center on this roster that's what i would do but i'm not as high on marcus bingham being that guy as you are i think yeah. there's a there's a clear need there and there's a clear need on the wing with just a body yeah. I, I Could I say that this is maybe a crazy answer, but I would say that if you added Marcus Carr on this roster, if you added an all-conference point guard, I think it would solve 80% of the issues that we saw last season. And I think that the biggest question coming into this season, and we're going to get to this very shortly, but is it, it, what does that point guard position be? And, and I get that you went out and you got Tyson Walker. Um and it remains to be seen exactly what he's going to give you. But if you could, for some reason, get Marcus Carr to join this team, I think that this team goes from being, you know, maybe like you said, middle of the road to maybe like a potential front runner in the conference contention, at least right there. I'd put him right there with Michigan and Purdue. So I, I don't know what the real, you know, answer is. The, the, the flip side of that too, is if you play these 11 guys, like, 
was there any one person that Michigan State could have really added to potentially become a Final Four team? I know it's way, way, way too early to do that, but do you think with the current roster construction, or do you think that a lot of these freshmen and these younger players are going to need another year of coming together? And so what this essentially allows the roster construction and the staff to do is to play the freshman heavy minutes to get them headed in the right direction. And yeah, you don't know what the team's, you know, roster construction is exactly going to be like this year, particularly with the way that the recruiting class is going, but you know, essentially that that core of Christy Akins, Brooks, Hogard, Sissoko, some of these younger guys that are going to be around for probably another year. I would say Max Christie should still be around for one more year. That's the core that you need to get glued together and get heavy minutes so while you have some pieces in place, some veteran pieces, you can allow these freshmen to perhaps flourish and you're setting yourself up for longer term success. And I don't know if that ends up being a viable response, but I guess that's the counterpoint to that. What would you say to that? I get it. I think that's the only way you can try to justify something like this and Sure, fine. I mean, I, freshmen take a while, right? That's how freshmen work. It's very rare unless you're a top 10 kid. And even top 10 kids struggle. Look what Josh Christopher did with Arizona State. I mean, he ended up sitting out a month and a half. But even with him playing at a really high level, it's not like that team was ready to win anything of substance in the Pac-12. So I think, I think that's a fair point. And you want these young guys to develop. But you're also not necessarily getting rewarded for not having a great season. You know what I mean? It's not like the NBA where if, <laughs> if you can shut things down and end up with Cade Cunningham a year from now. Like Michigan State, whether they're good or not this season, is going to have to rely on young players. And those young players are going to play huge roles next season. What that means for this season, I think, is a different issue than what it means for next season and I don't necessarily think they affect each other too much I just I look up and down the roster and just see way too many question marks and they're yeah. the difference between this year and last year for me is that the question marks this year I like as puzzle pieces like I I can look at Tyson Walker and be like oh yeah he makes a lot of sense I can look at Max Christie and be like that's a, a high level big 10 caliber talent superstar guy there wasn't much of that last year. Aaron Henry was phenomenal and he was certain as certain could be, and he was going to come out every night and play at a super high level. But this year you don't even have that. You know what I mean? Like there isn't a guy that you can point to yet. Hopefully it's Max Christie or Tyson Walker that you can say is this guy's going to be a killer every single night for us. And that's, what's frustrating to me is like, there were killers in the transfer portal available. We just talked about what Texas, Kansas, Kentucky, three high level programs that are basically recruiting over other transfers they got at their position right now because they want to bring in those high level guys. And look, that's not Izzo's way. I get it. I, the, the people that know me from a while know that I disagree with Tom Izzo a lot. It is what it is. But He's got a, a proven track record, as everyone listening to this knows. He's right a lot more often than he is wrong. And I could look really stupid six months from now. I hope that's the case. But I think there's going to be some regrets that at least one of those two spots weren't filled for a body because, God forbid, one guy on the wing gets injured and all of a sudden it's crisis mode with this team. Yeah. And I don't necessarily disagree with that. And I think the other you know thing third, furthering your point would be 
how many years does Izzo have left? You know, we've talked about this and talked around it a couple of times. If, if he only has, you know, three, four, five years left, then you can't waste opportunities to have a crack at another Final Four, to have a crack at a potential team. And I think that some of the pieces that you have on this team are really, really good role players. So adding somebody who can maybe elevate some of those other role players, elevate some of what the rest of the roster is, I, I don't necessarily disagree with you. I just know that that wasn't going to be the way. I think that what you saw in the portal particularly is that you know the, the front court probably had the most exciting transfers, and we have five front court players. None of them are perhaps you know locked and loaded guys. You don't 100% know what you're going to get out of them. Um, but it's really difficult to add another piece to that when you have five guys. It's just not his way, like you said. Um, but it, it's going to be very interesting because if for some reason you know somebody gets injured or some of these pieces aren't exactly what we thought they are, we're in for maybe another kind of longer season. And then you look at to what's heading for you know the next season. If Brown and Bingham both leave, you have more question marks probably at the spots than you do this year, right? So yeah. we're right back in that same boat, and then it's going to be like, okay, is this the year where you're going to fill it in the transfer portal? I just think that with some of the talent that you have with the freshmen, particularly Max Christie, you're going to get that kid for one to two years. You need to maximize your ability to try to use him to take you to another Big Ten title, to take you to a potential Final Four run. And adding another piece probably made a lot of sense to do that. So I see it from both ways. I think it's very clear from what Izzo has said, that is not going to happen. We're not going to add a piece. So the dice are being rolled in terms of hoping to stay healthy for the whole season. We'll see where it goes from here. Well, and let's let's say this too is my last piece on this. I think you and I both agree abundantly that the backcourt from last season to this season has been immensely upgraded, right? You're looking at – and primarily it's three guys, Tyson Walker, Jaden Akins, and Max Christie to me is a massive upgrade at the one and the two spot. And I know Christy can play some three and above, but realistically, those are backcourt guys that this team didn't have at a dynamic level last season. The front court, if you're looking at this and you're penciling in guys for minutes, is Gabe Brown, who's gone after next season, Marcus Bingham, who's gone after next season. Potentially. I guess they could come back. They could come back, right. But they're entering their senior year. Joey Hauser and Malik Hall. Right, those are the four bodies at the three through four that we expect major minutes from. If any decision was made on not going after or using two of these scholarships to basically protect or make those four guys feel comfortable, I think that's just a major miss because none of those four guys to me are all conference type players, at least not at a proven level without making a major jump. And two of those guys are probably gone next season, and the other two are seniors next year. If you're worried about pissing off those guys, that's just not a great look for me. And I know that's not the togetherness program stuff that you like to see at Michigan State, but, like, come on. What are we doing here? You know what I mean? Like, there there were really, really good players at those positions that I just think it's frustrating to be stuck in a spot where, God forbid, if one of those guys doesn't make a massive jump or if one of those guys doesn't stay healthy the full season, you're in a really, really tough spot. I think it really goes to the fact that if not one of Malik Hall or Joey Hauser has a significantly better season than they did, and not replacing one of those two minutes with the various stretch forwards and the 
amount of talent that came into the portal at the power forward spot. I'd say maybe that was the most talented spot that came into the portal that you're going to regret that a little bit, because if you would have had at least one of those spots end up being a pretty significant scoring threat, I think that the rest of the roster really shapes up well from there. So to me, maybe that's, that's the one spot where I'm looking at like, okay, you have Malik Hall. I'm, I'm a big Malik guy. I really am. You kind of lean a little bit more towards Hauser, but I think there's a both, enough inconsistency between those two um, on either side of the ball, whether it's defensively for Joey or offensively, um, you know, in spots for Malik and, and Hauser obviously wasn't, wasn't who we thought he was going to be offensively last year. So the fact that you could have maybe upgraded that spot and shored up kind of some of that front court, I'm with you. You just have to really hope that those guys take a step forward and maybe he's seen stuff in practice where he's saying these guys are going to be able to parse it together enough. We don't know what's going on behind the doors but I'm with you. I wouldn't have liked a little bit more assurance, uh, perhaps at one of those spots, just to feel a little bit better about it. Um, but we kind of transitioned into the backcourt. We each wrote, you know, several articles on the backcourt. I'm going to just take you through a little bit and take everyone else through a little bit of what I'm hearing um, from in and around the program. Uh, I have a couple guys that I reach out to on occasion just to kind of get updates about what's going on with the program. Who. Who are we liking? How is everybody liking this early, early off season? And I got what would be considered maybe slightly concerning news when I was poking around and asking around. Um, I, I don't know how to how I want to wear this. Do we want to start with the good news or we want to start with the news that's going to give me a little bit of alarm? I don't. I don't we've kind of always, been doom and gloom. Always start, start, with, start, start, with, with bad? start with alarm and leave people with some good news. To okay. All right. I think that's probably right. That's what we'll do. Even though it's kind of been a depressing podcast so far. He hasn't hey, what did you expect when you brought me on? Okay. We haven't given you a little bit more to be happy about. <laughs> um, but for my conversations with somebody that I trust very much has been around the program for several years, the – feel in the program the way that if this season basically started tomorrow, um, the implication is that Tyson Walker would not be the starting point guard. It would be AJ Hogard. And so I want to leave you three doors and I want to tell me which one you were going to enter in for this door. Number one, this should be somewhat alarming. Let me preface with this. He indicated to me that it wasn't just the fact that Tyson Walker is not eventually going to get there and be a starting level caliber point guard. But the indication is at least to start the season, if he had to take a bat, knowing Izzo and knowing the program, that A.J. Hogard would probably be the starting point guard on day one. And he thinks regardless of what happens this season, that that is going to happen. And I'll tell you why you thought that in a moment. But I want to give you three doors. Door number one, A.J. Hogard takes such a big step in this three months that it, you know, you're just going to be blown away by the type of player that he's going to be and that it makes sense, at least initially, for him to do it. He's been in the program for a year. He knows how to run the stuff. It's not surprising that's that because he took such a big leap forward. There's door number one. Door number two, Tyson Walker isn't quite what they thought they would be. My understanding is that he's closer to 5'10 than he is to six feet. Um, I think that the size is always going to be a bit of an issue. He was going to have to overcome some of that with his quickness. It's taken him a little bit of time. And perhaps, you know, he's only a month in. We don't know quite what we're going to see. But perhaps when they got him into the program that he wasn't exactly quite what they thought he would be, right at least from the jump. Maybe he could get there, but at least he's not there. That's door number two. 
And door number three. Uh, this is Izzo. This is the way that Izzo does stuff. We commonly play players that should not be starting over other players. It's the way that most seasons start, where at least several players are in positions of starting or earning minutes where they probably should not be. Um, we saw that drastically last season in a shortened season that had a huge impact on the way that the season went, in my opinion. But this is just part of the way that Izzo coaches. He has guys ingrained in the program. He gives them the benefit of the doubt. He trusts his veterans in there. And as a result, um, this is going to be the way that it starts, but then it's going to all balance out. If you had to choose one door, A.J. Hogarth has taken such a big leap that it makes sense. Tyson Walker's maybe not quite ready for it, but eventually possibly will be. Or door three, this is just the way that the program does it. We shouldn't be alarmed. Um everything's going to work itself out by mid-season, but we're going to go through some struggles early on. Which door would you say you most are suited in? Are you a believer in Hogard? Do you think that Walker perhaps has a little bit more deficiencies that we just gave him more credit for than not, and we should be a little bit more alarmed? Or is it door three where it's the program, just the way that it goes, everything's going to work itself out eventually? I'll take door number three. It's not door number one. At least I'm not walking through <laughs> Other other people might, but I'm not. I you know this. Maybe others don't. I I don't buy AJ Hogard as a starting point guard ever. Um, yeah, obviously it's early in his career. Guys can improve. Guys can change. But I even the flashes, the quote unquote flashes of him last season to me were not really flashes. Um, and I get it. Nobody looked good for Michigan State last year, so it's hard to blame him too much for that. But it's a it's going to be a big year because the opportunity will be there for him. I believed that even before this. You know, you sent me this text last week, but now more than ever, I believe AJ Hogarth is going to have a big opportunity. I just don't believe that will ever be a good thing for Michigan State. I do think. Yeah, I mean, let's preach patience. It's the off season. You never overreact to off season things until you get to night one and AJ Hogarth's out there starting. Then we can all overreact. Um, but I do think. I think Tyson Walker was brought here to be the starting point guard. I mean, I, I don't think the staff moves on a guy that quickly with the way the portal worked this year, unless they believed he could be that guy. I, again, you've seen how much talent came in and out of that portal this year to just not make a phone call or wait out guys like a Remy Martin, like a Joseph Yesifu, like a Marcus Carr. Like we, the, You can go on and on with this list. There's high-level point guards that Michigan State could have chased that they didn't because they took Tyson Walker right away. I don't think the staff is stupid. I did the write-up, go to SpartanHoops.com, read my Tyson Walker player profile. There's a lot to like there. But I about fainted when you sent me that text because I just can't fathom a world where A.J. Hogard is a better basketball player than Tyson Walker based on what I've seen. So I, I hope that it's patience. I hope that it's the Izzo thing that he does. It wouldn't shock me at all. Uh, I would be lying if I said I'm not a little worried that it it – could be some truths to Tyson Walker's struggles, but it's so early. We won't know till we get there. Everybody breathe. Okay. I, I like that you're preaching the patience. I, I was too a little bit alarmed from it. And the way that it was presented to me was that A.J. Hogarth has been a vocal leader. Um, some of that leadership void is going to have to be filled and I think, you know, there's going to be have to be, you know, multiple guys that step up and fill that Gabe Brown, Malik Hall, 
I like that AJ Hogard is taking some of the reins in doing that. I think that physically we've seen him take some strides already. It looks like he's down another 10 or 15 pounds since the end of the season. He's starting to get himself in better shape. I think that bodes well for maybe a little bit more of explosiveness from him. I don't think that he's ever going to be a super explosive athlete, but he is a guy that I think changes speeds particularly well. I was the one that did the write-up on Hogard. I spent a lot of last season defending him. Um, I thought to a certain degree that was just because he was the 100% best option. There was really no doubt in my mind. If you had to tell me Rocket Watts, Foster Lawyer, A.J. Hogard, who did I want starting and playing the primary minutes last year, it would have been A.J. Hogard. I think that what we saw from him out of the Minnesota game when basically nobody got off that bus when they went to Minnesota and Hogard had one of the best games he had of the season. Obviously, it wasn't a blowout game, but he rebounded the ball well. He was extremely tough, and he just he, he didn't let the circumstances of the game dictate the way that he played. He played extremely hard, and I think that that's some of what the program has always loved and preached. So to get that out of him, he then gets to start the next couple of games. They win. Then they go into basically the COVID you know, tailspin, and he comes out of it, and he kind of gets screwed on some of the minutes. I think there was a lot of head games that were unfortunately played with him. I know that his turnover rate was horrendous. It really was bad. But his assist percentage was also the highest on the team. I think it was above 25%. So over a quarter of the possessions where he touched the ball ended in an assist. The problem was they also, a quarter of them ended in a turnover. So it wasn't exactly great. Um, I think that he has the ability to press the pace on the offense. I think we saw that particularly in transition. Unfortunately, he didn't have a ton of guys that that ran the floor, A, or could hit shots because I think his assist percentage would have been even higher if he just had a few more guys around him that made a couple shots. So his job was made harder by the fact that there really wasn't very many people who could hit a shot around him. Um, I thought this was interesting. His defensive rebounding percentage is the highest of any Michigan State point guard since Denzel Valentine. He's the only guy that's recorded a higher defensive rebounding uh, percentage in that whole history era of Ken Palm, which I thought was pretty spectacular. Um, He's a guy that can get into the trenches. I think that defensively I was pretty surprised at how far uh, further ahead he was. I thought that was going to be an issue. I, I watched some of his Huntington prep games, and he reached a lot, and he really didn't play sound defense. And so I think at least in that position, when you're comparing uh, potentially Tyson Walker and A.J. Hogard, you're going to get a little bit more defensively and defensive rebounding out of him. The question, you know, for how good he can be and how much he can raise Michigan State ceiling to me is, is twofold. One is, can he take a step and actually be a somewhat consistent three-point shooter? If he can shoot just like 32, above 30%, I think that he's going to be fine. If he can't show the strides to be able to consistently at least – make that shot, even though it's not going to be his bread and butter, I think that they're going to have a ton of issue playing him long-term. And I think just his general ceiling for what he can be as a player is going to be a bit into question. I think this is a very, very big year for him because if he can't hit shots, that's really tough. You need to be surrounded basically by shooters. And the one person that I compared him to, and I'm curious to see your, your take on this, is what could he maybe develop into? To me, it's a guy like Tiger Campbell. And he's got him by like three or four inches. He's a guy that really is not a prolific offensive player, but he's a good passer. He, instead of, you know, worrying about uh, jamming the pace all the time, slowed the offense down a little bit in the half court and he was patient. His turnover rate was pretty low and his assist rate was pretty high. 
for me, Hogar maybe almost has to go that way where he just really gets a handle of the offense and takes care of the ball. If you can take care of the ball, there's enough shooting, in my opinion, now on this roster where you can get guys open looks and you can create shots for guys. There's a role for that. Do I think that maybe long-term it's a starting role? No, but there's a role for 15 minutes a night for that guy to be able to contribute and help the team. Uh, what do you think generally about where would you say maybe his ceiling is? What would be a good season for him next year? If he plays, say, 15 minutes per game and Walker eventually takes the reins from him as the starting point guard, whether it's day one or you know day 60, what would you say maybe is the ceiling for Hogard? It's a tough question because I, I just personally am so skeptical of A.J. Hogard. I just am. And I, I don't think that's going to change. I read your profile of him, and it's very well-researched. I know you were very high on him last season. Um, and honestly, I was a little surprised, not to spoil it, but like I was expecting that takeaway to be almost like a higher ceiling than where you came away with that. I yeah. think I give you credit for being realistic about some of that. Um, but I, I don't know. My thing with point guards, it's such a critical position, right? I said it earlier in the show. You have to have point guards that can score at three levels, that can beat their guy explosively off the dribble, get all the way to the rim and finish, can create for other people, and can hit shots. And Hogard right now, just of like the three basic jobs of a point guard, he has to learn how to shoot, and he has to learn how to limit his turnovers. And no matter how good of a passer he is or how promising he can be defensively if he can't do either one of those two things he's a net negative if he's the lead point guard on this team and i i have to believe that if he ever does become the lead point guard on this team it's because he has fixed at least one of those two things uh i just i quickly googled tiger campbell stats to make the comparison it's not a horrible one as far as his shooting percentages go i know that's why i chose it but the, the turnover rate is so much lower for Tiger Campbell, and it always has been. And that's where – can Hogard get there? Maybe, but I don't know that I would say that's inherently something he has with his game. Even if he's a you know high-level visionary passer, he still isn't taking care of it like some guys just innately can do. Um, so I don't know. I think 15 minutes a game to me is what you hope Hogard gets. If you're a Michigan state fan rooting for the best case scenario this season, because I think that means Tyson Walker's good. And if AJ Hogard plays 15 minutes a game, then I think you hope he's similar to last year, but with a little boost to his percentages and a lot less turnovers in those 15 minutes. I, I think that the Tiger Campbell comparison, I'll just say off the top, Tiger Campbell's technically was a junior this past year. Um, I think what you saw him do in terms of, you know, he, he did put on some scoring clinics in the in the tournament run that they made where he kind of was leaned on a couple times to score and was capable of doing it. I just think the general presence, right? Michigan State has always liked their point guards to be vocal, outspoken floor leaders. So the fact that he's kind of taken some of that role, I could see Tom Izzo really liking that. He's always liked his guys to be more outspoken. That's more in like the Mateen Cleaves type vibe where, you know, Mateen wasn't particularly a prolific scorer, but he was a great assist man. He was a great uh, accountability man, a guy that because there was so much talent around him, he was capable of raising that by holding everybody to standards that Izzo set. I think that, that the mental aspect, 
for Hogard is probably there. To me, he's, he reads as a kid that's kind of got that Spartan dog in him. So I, I like that aspect. But like you said, how high his ceiling can be and what he could potentially be for this team really depends on him either coming out and shooting the ball a hell of a lot better or just limiting the mistakes. Because if you limit the mistakes and the possessions um, are better offensive possessions as a result of what you're creating, then there's a role for that. There's a clear-cut role for that. And so I think that he was put in a very bad spot last year, you know, thrust in the starting lineup, taken out, thrust in it. The minutes were absolutely crazy. He started the season with a knee scope. He had no offseason to even really work with the guys. So I think there's a few guys that are going to take some steps this next year. I think he's going to be one of them. How big of a step it remains to be seen. But um, I think I, I lean towards maybe you as well, door number three, where this is just how the program does it. I think Walker's eventually going to get up to speed, and hopefully uh, he, he ends up being the stud that we think maybe he can be. And let's transition to that. You ended up writing the article on him. I thought it was very interesting. You always are extremely uh, graph-heavy, and you kind of lean towards maybe making various comparisons. Um, and I thought that when you were breaking down some of the synergy numbers in terms of how Michigan State point guards have scored in the past, and you made some comparisons to it, Tyson Walker was the heaviest pick and roll ball handler. If if he, I think if he would have, you know, put up those numbers at Michigan State, maybe it's the highest of all time. I don't know how far back he looked, but I wouldn't be surprised with that. Maybe Denzel Valentine's the only other guy that I would check, but you checked Kalen Lucas, Keith Apley, and Cassius Winston. Um, all of those guys were kind of somewhere around 30%. And then uh, in terms of what their spot up and their isolation. Also very similar numbers. Uh, Keith Appling was a little higher on the spot up, as was Kalen Lucas than Cassius Winston was. So what do you think just generally about if Walker is capable of taking that step, solidifying it at least at some point in time, whether it's you know into conference play or early on in the season, his starting role for this team? What do you really see as his uh, breakdown of kind of how they're going to use him? And if you had to take a guess at maybe overall production in terms of points and assists per game, what do you think they need to get out of him for Michigan State to be kind of that Big Ten conference contender this year? Yeah, I I am going to pretend that we didn't just discuss the buzz on Walker because after I did my research on the article, I had never been higher on Tyson Walker. Uh, I think when the news first broke that the staff picked him up so quickly, my initial response was, are we sure? Like, are, are we sure this is the guy? He, he had accolades at Northeastern. Uh, by all accounts, he was a, a high-production player with a relatively good, promising future at a Big Ten level. But he was 162 pounds, 5 foot 10 or 6 foot, depending on who you hear. Um, and that's questionable. No matter who you are, that's going to be a question mark going into a league like the Big Ten. So to move so quickly on him had to mean something. And I, I wrote this in the article, but to me, it means one, they believe in his playing ability, but two, they believe he's the right culture fit for a program like Michigan State. Um, I do. I think numbers wise, I looked at those three because to me, those are the three prototypical, true floor general, like ball in their hands, heavy point guards that MSU has had that operated on really successful teams over the last two decades. Uh, I did not look at Denzel Valentine just because he's such a different, unique type. Like he's that three slash point guard swingman type. Um, but it, it's interesting because 
all three of the guys I just named, as their careers progressed, the way they were used changed. And all three of them had the ball in their hands early. I mean, they all started games. Um, they were full-time starters by their sophomore season. They were all conference players by their junior season. And yet their roles were still evolving by the time they hit their senior year before they turned into these really, really ball screen dominant players where I think you see Izzo and the staff really relinquishing full trust and full control to a player like that. Obviously, Lucas and Appling in particular played with some really, really talented teams. Cassius Winston early in his career certainly played with some really, really talented teams. Even late in his career played with really, really talented teams. But Tyson Walker, to me, fits the mold of the Lucas and the Appling style more so than the Cassius Winston style, where he's a guy who's going to excel in transition. He's a guy who, once he does earn the trust of that staff, can operate out of a ton of ball screens. He's not really ever going to be the dead-eye spot shooter that Cassius Winston was, but he's going to have to at least keep defenses honest. And I think as the floor general at Michigan State, you end up getting those opportunities just off, you know, playing around guys like a Max Christie. Um, so I think I think Walker fits the mold that we've seen be successful for Michigan State in a way that AJ Hogard doesn't, in a way that no one on last year's roster does. And I think that's why they went out and got him so quickly. Now to remember the news that you're hearing. That's scary to me because I think there's so much pressure on Walker of everybody on this roster. He needs to be the piece that fits immediately for Michigan State to go from fringe top 25 team to anything substantial in the NCAA tournament. And I do think he's capable. I think that was my takeaway from the research that I did and the film that I watched is this is a really, really good fit for this offense. But if he's not, that's terrifying to me. Because honestly, if the question becomes how big of a leap does A.J. Hogard make this year, that's not an answer I think Spartan fans are going to want to find out. If that dictates the success of this team, I think that's a very bad thing moving forward. I couldn't really agree with you any, any more strongly. I think that when we came into this and Tyson Walker was snagged from the portal and as quickly as he was, to me, it was almost an instant plug and play. It was, this is the guy. This is clearly the guy that's going to be the point guard. And maybe maybe he is, and it takes five or six games. And maybe some of the pressure gets taken off him to come off the bench, and, and that's part of the mental play in it. Um, that's always a possibility where Hogard knows it. He knows the program. He knows the plays. He understands how to run it. And it's just going to take Walker a little bit of time to get up to speed. But I think that once we see him on the floor, it's going to be extremely hard for us not to understand why the staff went out and got him. I think if you're looking just at some of what he did last season, his assist rate was 33.7% and his team shot 35%, which is like 100th or something in the country for teams. So he didn't have a particularly good shooting team from deep last season. And yet his team, um, he, still, he still was 33rd overall in the entire country in assist percentage. Like that's that's a crazy high number for a team that really wasn't all that good. I think that you know there's some encouragement to be seen from a couple of the games that he had against that, and you did a nice job of breaking down kind of who he has uh, played against in terms of high major and what he did um, during that course of it. He averaged just under 16 um, 
points per game. He actually shot way better than his season average from three-point. He shot 52.6% in the four games that he played. He played Q's, Georgia, West Virginia, North Carolina. Uh, the North Carolina game was obviously the one that he really he showed out, and he had 27 points in that one, 19 in the Georgia game. So he has had a couple opportunities. All four of those ops were last season, so he has played some high majors. He has shown decently well. I think to a certain degree his size is going to be a bit of an issue in the Big Ten in spots when he's playing some of the bigger guards. Um, we saw today, you know, I think when Devontae Jones came back that he's got like a 6'6 wingspan and he's 6'1 and he's 230. When you're seeing some of these more physical guys, he's going to have to use his lateral quickness and his change of speed to change some of that. I think that what you really like about what you saw and how Michigan State's offense evolved junior and senior year after Nick Ward got injured and they went really heavy in the pick and roll, that is exactly why they went and got him. And my understanding is the original pitch when they got Walker was that we think that you can fill a similar role as Cassius Winston where you're used very heavily in the pick and roll and then you're allowed opportunity to kind of create off the bounce from there. So I think ideally that is what the offense transitions into it. And when you're looking at kind of what they have around the rest of the roster, then I think that you get a little bit more excited because Gabe Brown's a guy that I think will, again, shoot probably above 40% from three. Max Christie, to me, is a guy that will shoot either high 30s or right around 40%. I very, very, very much trust that jump shot. In terms of you know some concern that we have from Walker, everything that I've heard coming out of the program in regards to both Christie and Aikens has been nothing but positive. Um, Christie in live drills and live scrimmages the first three days apparently shot above 70% from, from deep. He's just an absolute sniper, and I think that he's going to give that option. Um, so if you have a guy in Tyson Walker who shot 35% from three in his career, you then you know bump it down the way, and your two and your three guard are shooting close to 40%, and then Hauser somehow has a kickback, and he regresses back maybe to some of his norm, and he's closer to 40%. Then the whole roster starts opening up. And so I really think that I agree with you and that Tyson Walker has to be that guy for Michigan State to have any type of real postseason aspirations in any Big Ten conference can title. And I think that we really aren't going to know until we see it on the court. I think it's just going one of those things where I'm going to keep my ear to the ground and we'll hear it as the season continues to get closer. But if there's still some indication that he's not ready to go, like at or near the beginning of the season, I think that the alarm bells will start ringing a little bit in me, and I think that we're going to have to really be a little bit concerned about where this is going if he can't establish himself as the starting point guard sooner than later on the roster. Yeah, I think that's right, and patience. I'm just going to keep preaching <laughs> patience on this stuff because as fun as it is to spend 40 minutes discussing A.J. Hogarth's breakout season as offseason content, Let's give Tyson Walker some time. Izzo's a big guy on trust. We all know that. Give him some time to earn the trust. And really, I mean, let's just pray. I, I'll pray on behalf of Spartan Nation here. Let's pray that Tom Izzo starts trusting players that average more than two points per game instead of the opposite. Because he's been doing a little too much of trusting those, those 1.30% from the field guys the last few years. We don't need any more of that. I'm just curious at what point in this offseason we start hearing all this chatter coming from Tom Izzo about AJ Hogard being the next the next truth. And then it's just like I'm, we're having foster lawyer flashbacks right before the season starts. Uh, but we'll, I guess we'll, it remains to be seen. 
But I think it's interesting that you're discussing trust because I think it's a perfect segue into where we're heading next, which is Gabe Brown. Uh, Dan did a nice job with this article. Um, I cut some film for him on this, and I just really went back and kind of watched at what Gabe Brown has done the best. And you were speaking just to the fact that really there's not a sure player on this roster, and you're not quite sure where you would turn to. I'm going to put the caveat that despite the fact that it has not 100% happened yet for Gabe Brown, that if there's one player on this roster that I'm going to peg to provide consistency for this team, I feel the most comfortable probably with Gabe Brown. And I know that's kind of asinine because he, he at least to our knowledge, hasn't hadn't earned the trust of the staff to be able to do that. But I think that last year he really was just kind of the the perfect storm of him not being able to play the full allotted minutes that he should have. If you look at some of the numbers, it's an absolute crime, crime that Gabe Brown did not play more minutes than both Josh Langford and Rocket Watts. He was so much more efficient. They were two of the three most inefficient players on the team, A.J. Hogard being the, the worst of that bunch. Um and, and Gabe Brown ended up being the most efficient offensive player on this roster for guys that played above whatever. I think Kithier technically won that honor, even though you know we can have a debate about how the numbers went for that, just given the time and all the rest of it. But Gabe Brown was just ridiculously efficient for this team and was not given the proper due. And I think that because of Tom Izzo's relationship with Josh Langford and the very complicated process of him coming back and being part of this team – which maybe in hindsight was to a slight degree to a large uh, you know, detriment to Gabe Brown, that Gabe is in a position now where there's no minutes that are coming from behind him. We already spoke about the wing depth. We're in a position where Gabe Brown is going to play 30 minutes per night. And I think he's finally going to get his chance to be able to kind of break out a little bit. So I guess my, fir- my first question, you never answered this with the Tyson Walker, so maybe we'll recap this in a little bit. What would you consider a good season for Gabe Brown? Where do you think he needs to shoot from the floor? Where do you want to see him from deep points per game? And then the assists per game are never going to be his game. I I don't really ever see that. So I would probably lean towards the rebounding category. To me, that's the one thing that indicates that his motor is going, and that's probably the best indicator of him having a good game is, is him cleaning up some of the glass, which he hasn't done a great job over his career, and I think he can do a better job. So what is the production that you think Michigan State will need out of him, and where do you kind of see that? Great question. So I I have three things that I would look at for Gabe Brown, and they're pretty elementary things. They might not be the same things that you would care about for Gabe Brown, but for me, it starts with three-point percentage. It's followed by minutes played, and that's followed by games played. Because when we talk about roster depth, Gabe Brown is another guy you can't lose. And we just said how critical the point guard position is. Just off of bodies alone, Gabe Brown needs to play every single game this season, and he needs to play a lot of minutes in those games. And if he's playing a lot of minutes in every game this season, we better hope he's shooting the piss out of the ball because that's what he's on this roster to do. Uh, He did. He shot great from three last season. He's been a, a phenomenal free throw shooter in his time at Michigan State. So I have no doubt that, I mean, he should be a dead-eye sniper. You hope that that's above 40%. I like I love his shot. I just think it's a really smooth release. I think as a catch-and-shoot guy, he's up there with the best of the best in the Big Ten. So like 
with a point guard, theoretically, like Walker, who is really good in pick and rolls, that's setting him up with other shooters around him like Christie, then I think the sky's the limit for him. I think he's gone from 37% as a freshman on one attempt per game to 34% on three as a sophomore, up to 42% on three attempts as a junior. Um, so I think, you know, that if that's the low bar potentially for Gabe Brown, that feels like a, a real honest possibility for him as a shooter. I think he could end up getting five attempts per game if he's playing. That's what I was going to ask you. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. I, I would think, lean towards two. I think the, he needs to up that shot. He needs to be taking more three-point shots for sure. But go yeah, on. Yeah, I think the hope has to be 30 minutes, five attempts, still at that 40, maybe 42, maybe higher clip. Um, and I think he's capable of that. I think what you don't want to see, or maybe a better way of phrasing this would be, Spartan fans should not expect to see Gabe Brown take a massively diversified type of shots this year. Like I don't think I don't know if Brown, you know if that's necessary. I don't think that I want him to diversify his shots. Right. And I think maybe this is just me being prisoner of the moment, but I think we're going to see some of that from fans this year. Um, I think we're going to see some people expecting Gabe Brown to almost develop and, you know, blossom similarly to Aaron Henry, where they're totally different players. Like Aaron Henry was such a, a better facilitator and go-to offensive guy than Brown could ever be with the ball in his hands. Now there has, speaking of workout videos, Gabe Brown's workout video in Chicago in that open gym is like one of the most surprising, monstrous videos I've seen in the last three months. And I get every offseason workout video looks great, but like this was a five on five pickup setting and he's crossing people up and hitting step back shots and hitting fadeaway shots on a court with some really high end talent. I believe Max Christie was playing in that game and Max Christie is a McDonald's all American talent. Gabe Brown has never been that. So I I I want to keep it simple for Gabe Brown. That's my goal this year. Let's not expect him to be more than he has been. If he becomes more than he has been, that's fantastic. But if he can just be a reliable senior leader, vocal guy, 30 minutes a game, every game, shooting as well as he did last season, that's a massive piece for this team. And uh, I think he can do it, honestly. Like I think of all the pieces looking up and down the roster, I said earlier, it's so many question marks. I think Gabe is probably the one that of the returning guys I'm the least worried about just because we know he's a great shooter. If all he's asked to do is space the floor and shoot and play off of some other guys that have a bigger burden on their shoulders, Gabe Brown can do that at a really high level. Points per game. You didn't give me either. Points per game or rebounds per game. <laughs> I dodged your entire question again. Yeah, that's all right. Uh, I don't know, dude. I like it's hard to answer points without knowing how many minutes he's gonna play. He's like, gonna play thirty minutes per game. Okay, if he's gonna play thirty minutes a game, I think he gets ten points. I don't. I don't think he gets more than ten points. I think Christie's got to lead the team in scoring if they play similar minutes. I'd have Walker second, and I'd have Hauser third. I know that's crazy, but it's not crazy. You like Hauser. You, I'm high on how on the board for the Hauser bounce back season. So I am. I, I just want to throw a couple more numbers just to show again how egregious it was that Brown was completely underutilized last year. And some of that, you know, I spoke to in my article is in regards to the motor. There's no way that this guy should not average at least 
four to five rebounds a game, in my opinion, if, if he plays the requisite minutes this year. He's a guy that is absolutely capable of cleaning the glass at a high level. And he'd had a couple of games where he, had, he he turned in zero rebound games, I think four times this season. That's unacceptable, in my opinion. So I think to some degree, the staff has always been asking more from him. And I think that we see it. His role to me really is spot up shooter where he was absolutely lights out in the corner. I tried to see if you could find it on Synergy. and I, I did not see the ability to do that. I'm going to try to maybe do a better job of tracking it. But if I had to take a guess of what his shooting percentage from beyond the arc was in the corner on either corner spot, I would have to guess it's probably north of 50 to 60%. I think that he was absolutely lights out from the corner. So he's a guy that can find shots that way. I think they need to run him off more screens. I didn't understand why they didn't do that. Um, and I think that just generally creating more shots. But here's some of the numbers, and I'll give it to you before we turn the page on him. Uh, as a spot-up shooter where he, uh, he utilized 45% of his possessions, he finished in the 87th percentile of the country. Uh, so he scored 83 points on 73 possessions. Uh, in transition, he was even better, 54 points on 43 possessions. Uh, that's 1.26 points per game. And like roughly averages somewhere around like one point per game. So he was extremely elite in both transition as a spot-up shooter. And then you look at the breakdown of the shots. So in terms of percentage of shots taken while on the floor, 18.4%. Rocket Watts, 26.3%. Josh Langford, 22.4%. So the fact that he was taking like 8% of less shots while on the floor than Rocket Watts and four less than Langford, both of whom he was way more effective from, both from three and the field. He finished first overall from three-point land, but fourth in attempts. And the guys that shot up in front of him, Henry, that's understandable. Henry was taking a lot more shots and needing to do in, in spots. He got caught with the ball. That's not all that surprising. Uh, Langford took 102. Hauser took 100. And Rocket Watts took 87. So that to me is just absolutely bananas. Absolutely bananas. He took 81 shots in Langford and Hauser and Rocket are all taking that many more than him. I think that just speaks – to what a poor job the staff did of getting him the ball. And I think that that definitely changes. Uh, in terms of where I see his production, oh, that's a good question. I think 10 is a safe um, kind of basis from that. And I, I pointed in my article to maybe how I kind of see his development kind of being a little bit similar to Matt McQuaid's. Um, McQuaid was a lot more of a shooting specialist, I would say. But he finished his senior year right around 9.8 points per game, so pretty close to the 10. I would maybe even say if Brown is given enough opportunity that maybe he's a little closer to 12 points per game, I think it falls somewhere in between 10 to 12. And like I said, I think that I'd really like to see him maybe get like four to five rebounds. Um, so we're at an hour 20. Let's try to wrap it up maybe the next 10 to 15, uh, just because once it gets this long, I know fans you know start losing a little bit of interest here. But let's transition to the freshmen and just the general impact that we say, like you brought up, I think that everybody should be very excited about the freshman. I think that this is a class where it's maybe one of my favorite ones that have come in. Everything that I've heard from both Max Christie and Jaden Akins is that it's going extremely well. I think we're both in agreement that Christie's going to have to play big minutes, pretty similar to Brown. I think that those two on the wing, if they stay healthy, can give you a really, really stable um, just wing core right there between those two. Jaden Akins, I see kind of coming in, and it sounds like he's played a lot off the ball. He did that a bunch when he was at Sunrise Christian this past year, playing with Kennedy Chandler. 
defensively, it sounds like he may be the best on-ball defender that the team has. Um, I think that's pretty high honors from a freshman, but he really was kind of a lockdown guy for Sunrise. He played at extremely high level and played a bunch of guys who were eventually going to play in the NBA and did a nice job on them. So I think that that's a nice role for him to fill. I originally thought coming in with Rocket Watts that he was going to kind of be, you know, backlogged in some minutes. And now I think that really we're going to see him play maybe closer to 15 to 20 minutes per game. How do you maybe see uh, Max Christie and Jaden Aikens minutes playing out? And where do you see maybe their roles for this team? You already mentioned that you think Max Christie should be the leading scorer. What does that look like in terms of production for you? Yeah, I mean, I, I think Christie more than any freshman in recent memory, other than I guess going back to Gary Harris, is just going to be such a plug and play guy. Like if he's ready for this, the ceiling is the limit or the, the ceiling is the roof, right? The North Carolina term, <laughs> the, he could play 40 minutes for a, like in a must win game by March. Like if he's not in foul trouble, I think he's that good. And I think the roster is going to call for that type of opportunity for him. I think what's most realistic is it, they bring him along slow. That's typical. Like I, I bet in non-conference, he's probably playing 25 to 30 um, less on blowouts, but I think come come conference play, he's going to have to play 30 minutes a game, and he's one of a handful of McDonald's All-American level talents in this conference this year. And I think from everything I've seen and everything you've heard, I mean, he has the game to back this up. And it's a, a pretty polished game for the position that he is and his age right now. Like, skill stuff just translates. If you can shoot like he can and you can create your own shot like he can – like he's going to step into this roster and be a lethal weapon for this team. Uh, Production-wise, what does that look like? I I think he leads the team in scoring as long as he's given the opportunity. Like if he does hit 30 minutes a game, I don't think 14 points per game is out of the question. Um, and I think 14 points per game is like a trying to be reasonable projection as well. Like I don't want to put too much pressure on the guy, but this is a roster to me that lacks scorers. It has some shooters. It has um, guys we think can be dynamic ball creators, but we haven't seen them do it at a Big Ten level. And of the guys I believe the most in their natural talent, it's it's Christy bar none for me looking at this roster. So I hope he gets the opportunity. I mean, God, can you imagine how frustrating it'll be if like he's floating around 20 minutes a game and at least you know by the how, end of non-conference play? <laughs> how do you think that's even possible? We already talked about who's behind him at the wing, who's taking oh, yeah, those that's true. Like early. in order for that to even happen, Izzo would have to be playing the other freshman. So <laughs> that's I, exactly right. I guess you're right. Maybe there's a blessing in disguise to leaving two open scholarships. That would probably be the only one that I could think of because if they can stay healthy, I'm on board with you. I don't know if it happens right away, um, but at a certain point in the season, which I hope would be maybe January or February, to me, Christie's going to have to be leaned on to be the go-to score because with his size, with his shooting ability, and I think that really what you saw from the film from him in high school is that his ability to create off the dribble and both from beyond the arc and in the mid-range where he picks his spots usually near the elbow is really unlike maybe any guy that Michigan State has ever had. I said coming in and when he originally committed that I thought that maybe he's going to end up being the best pro wing prospect that Michigan State has ever produced. 
Um, there hasn't been a ton of them over the years from that. I, I would lean towards maybe Shannon Brown and Jason Richardson being more like the forward types. That was probably more of a power forward than, you know, the pure like guard wing. Um, but that comparison really is then can he overcome, you know, Gary Harris and that obviously Gary has kind of, you know, had a bounce around. He's in the magic. He's, he's dealt with some injuries. So we, we haven't really hundred percent got to see maybe the full him over the years, but the way that the league is shaping up in the terms of, how much they covet the ability to create shots, particularly from deep. This kid is going to be really, really special. And I think that, you know, whether we get him one year or two years, we need to soak it in and enjoy that experience because in terms of, you know, ability to root for kid and just the way that his game is shaped, he's just going to be so exciting. Like you said, there's just not that many McDonald's all American type kids that enter into the conference on an almost annual basis um, fortunate for us, we're getting to see, you know, some of the higher level guys between both Michigan and Michigan state, which is always exciting, particularly when they're going to get to ma- match up twice a year. So the fact that we get to see Christie versus Houston, and we get to see, you know, maybe a Frankie Collins and a Jaden Akins go at it. I think there's a lot of excitement that should be felt in the season for what these freshmen are capable of bringing, but there's also a lot of pressure on them. I mean, Christie is at some point in time, like I said, going to have to be the guy for this team probably. Is that something that he's capable of doing? I don't think we're going to know the answer to that. And then going back to kind of what you've said over and over again, this team has a lot more question marks than answers at this point. It doesn't mean that they can't be answered at some point in the season, but it also means that it's really hard to predict what this team could potentially be when there's a ton of upside but there's also a ton of, you know, uncertainty. So I, I'm not sure how you're going to balance all that out. Can I ask you a question? What would you generally say if you had to choose a closing lineup towards the end of the year, where do you see that lineup being? Is there a particular lineup that you would either like to see that you maybe think is unlikely or when it's crunch time early on, or maybe even in mid-conference play, so we've gotten to kind of feel out guys. Who do you see Michigan State leaning on to finish out a game? That's a great question. I I mean, I think if you're rooting for a best-case scenario for the highest-ceiling version of this team, my answer to that question is the straightforward one, at least in my mind, which is Walker, Christie, Brown, Hauser, whoever the best center is, which, you know, most people will say is Bingham. I still think maybe is Sissoko. I think it's one of those two guys. Um, I think there's an argument for what my guess would be is your answer to this question, including Jaden Akins in that five. I think that's the spicier answer to this question. It's certainly the funnest one for fans to think about going into the season And when we talk about all of this, this exciting freshman class, the question marks everywhere, I will say Aikens is the forgotten name in the whole point guard discussion that we had. And, you know, I think you are anticipating he may factor in on the wing a little bit, or at least at the two spot this season. But I'm not putting it out of the question here that if, like, we're finding ourselves where A.J. Hogard needs to play major minutes – I would hope Jay Nakins gets a look at the one as well because I I think he carries a certain level of both skill, confidence, and just physical ability that may still be a question mark both with Hogard and with Walker with his size. 
um, that will translate right away, not as prevalently as Max Christie's skill set does, but at least to a, a high-level Big Ten rotation player wherever he is on the floor right away. Yeah, I, I want to address that, but I, I don't want to be remiss and leave out Brooks because we haven't really touched on him. I will just say from what I have heard, Brooks is a little bit behind the eight ball in terms of some of his comfortability with this level of play. I think that there's been some discussion kind of leading up to it. Like is the level of competition that he played over the years um, quite up to what he's going to eventually see at the college level. And I think to a certain degree, that answer was no, I went and saw him play a couple times live. Um, you know, the public school league is not really known for de- defense or structure or anything like that. Uh, his dad was his coach and, you know, I think he did a pretty good job of placing Brooks in good positions and there really wasn't much talent on his team. So he had to be kind of the primary creator. I think there's a lot to like about some of his physical package, but I think that, you know, in terms of getting acclimated to the program and to this level of competition, it might take a little bit more time than expected. I do think that in the latter part of his career, he's going to be a very, very valuable piece. He's one of the guys I'm really excited to see. But I'm not saying from the gate that he is maybe going to be 100% ready when the season starts to eat up any type of significant minutes. So going towards some of what you worry about, the wing depth, um, maybe we are going to have to see a little Malik Hall and some spots on that, on that wing unless we see Brooks get a little bit more comfortable because at least early on, I would say of the three, he's perhaps lagging behind a little bit more, uh, which I think to a certain degree is expected just because uh, of the level of competition that he's played at um, during the course of his career. But in terms of speaking to Akins, and this will be kind of be our last point before we wrap up today, um, I'm, I'm on board with you where I think that there's a possibility that he does land some minutes at the point guard spot. I think he's electric with the ball in his hands. Uh, I would have liked to see him even last year have that opportunity a little bit more. I know Kennedy Chandler's extremely high-level recruit, but I think Akins has – Um, you know, some upside that perhaps Chandler doesn't given some of his size and some of the rest of it. So I think that, you know, he was put in a position where he had to play off the ball. I think that he, he will get a shot. I don't know how many minutes it will be, but I'm with you. If we're running into a situation where Walker does not become ready to be able to kind of um, take the primary minutes from this, I think giving the opportunity to Aikens is definitely going to have to be in the mix um, and to what you alluded to in, in my possible potential best lineup, um, we'll have to see what happens with the power forward spot because I think that that's a, a very large question mark. You're having two guys split because you, you're not 100% sure what you're going to get out of him. Maybe one of those two takes a leap forward. But having maybe a combination of Aikens uh, alongside Walker and then you're playing Christie and maybe even sliding Brown down to the four, which – you know, to a certain degree, I don't know if you want to say Henry played the power forward spot or Brown did last season when they went to that small ball lineup, but putting four shooters with two ball creators on it and then playing them around side Bingham is to me a very exciting lineup that could be a potential wrinkle into what you have. I would like to see Aikens play alongside Walker in some spots. And I guess the one caveat I would say if AJ Hogard does end up starting, the ability to bring from the bench both Walker and Aikens like together to me would be a very, very exciting duo to get a chance to play together. And maybe eventually we see that in crunch time in the, in the latter part of the season. So getting an early start to having that kind of firepower come off the bench is something that intrigues me as well. Um, But overall, I think that we can both agree, like you said, that there is some 
positive things that have occurred in terms of uh, upgrades in the backcourt and that as Michigan State, you know, progresses this season, really what happens at the point guard spot is probably uh, the most important and crucial, uh, you know, position to be able to figure out what what comes of this season. Uh, do you have any final thoughts just generally on what the backcourt, um, you know, expectations or anything like that? I want to make a comparison with my final thought, and this is more to the roster as a whole than to the backcourt specifically, but I've been trying to frame in my head what expectations should be for this Michigan State team and if there's anything we've ever seen like this before. And it's drawing me back to the 2016-2017 season. If you go back to that season, you remember what it was. It was the first season for the class. Nick Ward, Miles Bridges, Josh Langford, Cassius Winston. The surrounding pieces on that team were senior Aaron Harris transfer. Who got injured, right? He got injured that season. He got injured late in the year. And then it's a bunch of role player guys like Alvin Ellis, sophomore Matt McQuaid, Tom Tom, who obviously had started on a Final Four team before that. But up and down the roster, it was a lot of unproven guys and then a lot of freshmen who were forced into larger roles, not necessarily than they were ready for because that class was incredible, but forced into larger roles than Tom Izzo is typically giving to really talented freshmen. And that team did not achieve as much as I think they could have just based on talent. I don't think anyone would say it was like an underachieving year. Um, because they were so young and that's to be expected. They finished 20 and 15. They were fifth in the big 10 at 10 and eight. And if that's a little bit of a barometer for this season, I think it's a pretty fair one. And I think the surrounding parts on this Michigan state team, believe it or not to me are a little ahead of that previous team. I think when you look at guys like Gabe Brown and you look at guys like Tyson Walker, who have had high level production and been a player of a year in a small conference, those are guys that, to me, are expected to make a larger impact than a role player spot. Um, or at least in Gabe Brown's spot, like he'll be an elite role player if he's given 30 minutes a game. So I think it's, it's a good combination of the young guys being a really good class, being given the opportunity, like you said. Um, just the margin for error is so thin that I think while this team has a relatively high ceiling, I think the thing that sticks out to me is that there's also a really low floor here. If if Tyson Walker is not the guy at point guard, if there's an injury on the wing, and if, God forbid, we didn't even mention the center position today, but that might be the biggest question mark on the roster coming off of last season. So it, it's all you can do in the offseason is ask these questions and discuss hypotheticals. I can't wait until we can watch some actual games and see what these guys look like. I think this freshman class is going to be fun as hell. And I think at the very least, it's going to be such a breath of fresh air. Um, and it's something that even though it's going to feel like we haven't seen it before, we kind of have. We've seen Tom Izzo give four freshmen a 20-minute plus role on a team. And that kind of became the year before the year. Next season, you know, Jaron Jackson came in and there may not be a Jaron Jackson coming next season, but it can still be a foundational year before a year back where you take a step forward. And I think that more than anything should be the goal for this program. And it's a goal that I think is a realistic one. I think that's all pretty fair. I think that's a good way to wrap it. I mean, we're a little over one thirty, So everybody who stuck around, we much appreciate it. 
Um, we're going to be continuing to pump out content during the course of it. Like we said, Greg's got some stuff in the hopper. I think as the NBA draft gets a little bit closer here with the close of finals, we'll discuss maybe uh, Aaron Henry's potential landing spots, a couple of good places where maybe he could fit and kind of long-term where maybe we see his role in the NBA. And I also think that given that recruiting is going to continue to heat up this next month, we'll keep everybody apprised of that. Uh, I think that the class of 23 is a very interesting one. I think probably a whole episode can be done on that. We're going to start digging into exactly some of the guys that we've offered recently. And I think that there's some ability to uh, just have a conversation on maybe how that class could potentially shape up, which I think already, in my opinion, just given some of the guys they've offered, they're in a much better spot than they are with the 22 class, which is uh, funny enough to say. So thank you again for everybody who watched. I'm your host, David Klein. Uh, and this for Greg Waddell, my co-host. Appreciate it. Always, my friend. Good talking to you. All right. Take care. Peace.